This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Chapter 16 Discontinuity Between the Covenants on the Law Quote, the new covenant surpasses the old in glory, power, realization, and finality. End quote. What has been said above does not in the least deny that there are some forms of discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that is, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, regarding the law of God. What it does indicate is that any such discontinuity must be taught by God's word and not be brought as a categorical theological assumption to God's word. We could turn now to such biblically grounded discontinuities between the Old and New Covenants. Because the law of God plays a central role in his covenantal dealings with his people, it is altogether appropriate that the contrast between these two covenants should have a bearing on our relationship to that law. Roman numeral 1. The New Covenant surpasses the Old Covenant in glory. A. While the Old Covenant was fundamentally a ministration of condemnation and death, the New Covenant is a ministration of righteousness and life. Paul reflects upon the distinctives of the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, proving that anyone who exalts the law over the gospel, as did the legalistic Judaizers, anyone who is so absorbed in the commandments that he obscures or overlooks the good news of redemption, has made a grave mistake. The New Covenant teaches Paul far outshines in glory the law of the Old Covenant. The law certainly has its glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 and 11. But despite that glory, what stands out in the Old Covenant is the feature of condemnation which brings death, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, 7, and 9. The law is good, indeed, ordained unto life. However, the sinfulness of man works through the good law to produce death. Romans chapter 7 verses 12 through 16. The outstanding feature of the Old Covenant to Paul's mind was the external tables of the law, which, although they commanded good things, could not confer good things. These external ordinances necessarily condemn all unrighteous men and demand their death. As Paul said, the letter kills. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. There is no way that sinful men can be justified by doing the law. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and chapter 3, verse 11. When Moses returned from receiving the law, his face shone with the glory of God, and after reading the law to the people, he needed to put up a veil over his face for the sake of the people. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 and 13. Paul sees in this fact the double character of the Old Covenant. One, it was glorious, but two, It continually accused and condemned those who, due to sin, could not endure to behold the glory of Moses' face. Nevertheless, when Moses appeared with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was only the face of the Savior which shone with God's glory. Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 3. The old covenant law condemned and killed, but by contrast, Christ takes away the curse of the law by enduring its penalty and gives his life-producing spirit to create an obedient heart in us. Accordingly, the new covenant is distinctively a ministration of the spirit or a ministration of righteousness. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, which imparts life, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Christ has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Accordingly, Paul says that in contrast to the covenant epitomized by tables of stone, the new covenant exceeds in glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. The old covenant law commanded good things, but only the gospel could fully confer them. The righteousness demanded by the law was only supplied with the redemptive work of Christ. Thus the new covenant has a greater glory than the old. The old declared the law and thereby condemned. The new satisfies the law and makes us right with God. The leading and far greater glory of the new covenant is that it secures the righteousness of God's people through God's Son and Spirit, rather than serving primarily to condemn sinfulness. The latter function required only the glory, genuine though it be, of stone tablets. The former required God to manifest the glory of his only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14. Hence, Calvin said, quote, The law, however glorious in itself, has no glory in the face of the gospel's grandeur. End quote. Commentary at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. As such, the approach of the New Covenant believer to God's law is significantly different from that of the Old Covenant believer, since the threat of the law has now been decisively removed through Christ's expiation and the Holy Spirit's indwelling. The law can be more fully a delight to the believer today. B. The New Covenant provides the believer with a greater confidence in approaching God. The Old Covenant law promised forgiveness to the sinner on the basis of animal sacrifices, but the tentativeness of this arrangement was evident from the fact that mere animals were offered up and from the fact that sacrifices were repeated over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 There was still some distance between the believer and God, for only the high priest could come before the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies once a year. A veil separated the people from their God. But with the sacrificial work of Christ, which cleanses new covenant believers, the veil has been torn in two. Mark chapter 15, verse 58, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. Through Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, we can have bold access to the throne of grace. The way into the holy place was not manifest under the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. But under the new covenant, we have boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. The assurance of forgiveness, the purity of the believer, and the nearness of God are far greater in the new covenant than anything the old covenant law could secure. So Calvin rightly remarks, quote, The person who still holds to or wishes to restore the shadows of the law not only obscures the glory of Christ, but also deprives us of a tremendous blessing in that he puts a distance between us and God, to approach whom freedom has been granted us by the gospel, end quote. From his commentary at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. C. Unlike the old covenant, the new covenant has a permanent and unfading glory. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul likens the glory of the old covenant with its law to the glory which shone in Moses' face after receiving that law, in verses 7 and 13. What Paul repeats over and over again is that this glory was passing away, verses 7, 11, and 13, and had to be veiled, verses 7 and 13 through 16. But the new covenant has a transforming glory seen in the face of Christ, 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. This glory is beheld with unveiled face, permanently and progressively making us over into the same image from glory to glory. Moses mirrored the glory of God only intermittently with a fading glory. Such was the excellence of the old covenant law. We constantly mirror the unfading glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. Indeed, we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Distinctive to the new covenant is a glory surpassing the law, a glory which can be gazed upon, as well as mirrored, without interruption. What we have found is that the New Testament writers can set the new covenant over against the old covenant by taking the law as their point of departure. Believers today have greater benefits than old covenant believers could have in their relationship to the law. The law stood for the threat of death, God at some distance, in a fading glory. In the new covenant, the threat is removed, God draws nearer, and the glory is permanent. This provides us with a different context within which to use the law of God and determines the attitude with which we must approach the law. To be content with the law itself or to emphasize it over and above the gospel would evidence a terribly perverted sense of judgment. The new covenant puts the law into proper perspective by showing us a far greater glory than the law possessed. Roman numeral 2. The new covenant surpasses the old covenant in power. A. The new covenant provides us with further and stronger motivations to obey the law. Everything found in the scripture is for our instruction in righteousness and our spiritual discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And thus, we cannot be perfectly furnished unto all good works without paying attention to all aspects of scriptural revelation. Its history, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. Its promises, for example, John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Its wisdom, for example, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Its prayers, for example, Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. Its praise, for example, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, and etc. Each of these aspects functions to equip us better for righteous living. The New Covenant provides us with further scripture that tells us of God's redemptive work with its accomplishment and application. It should serve to make us ever more grateful for what God has done. Redemption, new creation, indwelling of the Spirit, unity of the body. These and many more themes in the New Covenant's revelation are motivations for godliness which go beyond the motivations available to Old Covenant saints. Ethical exhortations in the New Testament are commonly founded on consideration of these New Covenant benefits. B. Unlike the Old Covenant law, the New Covenant empowers obedience to the revealed pattern of righteousness. Looking again at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul contrasts the Old Covenant with the New, we read that Paul's New Covenant ministry had the effect of changing the hearts of his hearers, as though Christ himself had written upon their hearts. Verse 3. God had written the law with his own finger upon two tables of stone at Mount Sinai, but Jeremiah looked forward to the day of the new covenant when God's law would be written upon men's hearts. Jeremiah 31:33. Hearts made of responsive flesh rather than stone. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, and chapter 36, verse 26. 
Proverbs teaches that out of the heart are the issues of life. With the law written upon man's heart, he would finally be able to walk in God's commandments and do them. Although the Spirit worked in the lives of Old Covenant believers to help them obey the law of God, he did so in a way which was both limited and provisional, looking ahead to the great day of Pentecostal power. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 notes that the Spirit is the agent of the writing done upon the New Covenant believer's heart. Verse 3. The letter of the Old Covenant brought death, but the Spirit of the New Covenant communicates life and righteousness. Chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, and verse 18. What was once external and accusing, the law written on tables of stone, is now internal and activating, the law written on tables of the heart. We are told that the law made nothing perfect, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, but the new and better covenant has better promises, in particular, the internalization of the law by means of Christ's sacrificial and priestly work so that the law is kept. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 10. The eternal covenant makes us perfect in every good work to do God's will. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. We find here one of the most dramatic differences between the old covenant law and the new covenant gospel. The New Covenant accomplishes what the law required but gave no ability to perform. P.E. Hughes expresses the point well. Quote, the fault of the Old Covenant lay not in its essence, which, as we have said, presented God's standard of righteousness and was propounded as an instrument of life to those who should keep it, but in its inability to justify and renew those who failed to keep it, namely, the totality of fallen mankind. The New Covenant went literally to the heart of the matter, promising man, as it did, a new and obedient heart, and the grace truly to love God and his fellow man. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19. End quote. In the preceding outline, we already find highly significant discontinuities between the Old and New Covenants regarding the law of God. The New Covenant surpasses the Old Covenant law according to the New Testament scriptures, both in glory and power. The New Covenant puts the law into perspective and puts it into practice, overcoming its basic threatening character, insecurity, and fading glory by providing further motivations to obedience as well as the power to comply with the law's demands. Roman numeral 3 The New Covenant reality supersedes the Old Covenant shadows. A. The New Covenant secures the redemption foreshadowed in the Old Covenant. One of the greatest points of dissimilarity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is found in the area of redemptive rituals. For example, the Old Testament sacrifices, priesthood, temple, covenant signs, etc. The way in which the laws pertaining to such redemptive ritual were observed prior to the coming of Christ is much different than the way in which they are observed today. By bringing in the substance foreshadowed in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant gives us a new perspective on the laws which regulated expiation, priestly service, and the like. Whereas the Old Covenant believer looked ahead to the work of the Savior and showed faith by observing the redemptive ritual of the Old Covenant, the New Covenant believer looks back upon the finished work of the Savior and shows faith by clinging to Him for salvation, totally apart from the old ceremonies. From Scripture, it is evident that the New Covenant arrangement is better than the Old Covenant pertaining to redemption, 
and accordingly those redemptive laws have been made outwardly inoperative. Here is a discontinuity between the covenants, which can be suppressed only at the cost of totally misunderstanding the teaching of the New Testament. The logic of the writer of Hebrews is that, if a new covenant has been given, then it must be a better covenant, which as such makes the old covenant outmoded. Moses himself witnessed to the provisionary glory of the administration of God's grace found in the Pentateuch by looking beyond the shadow and promise to the realization to come. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 5b. Likewise, Jeremiah spoke for God of a new covenant to come, and that very fact, according to the author of Hebrews, indicated that already the Mosaic administration was deemed obsolete and passing away ready to vanish. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13. Saying this leads the author of Hebrews right into a discussion of the first covenant's ritual ordinances. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. The work of Christ is in every way superior to these. He is the surety of a better covenant, a better hope. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22 and verse 19. Because his priesthood is everlasting. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 21 and verses 24 and 25. And his sacrifice of himself is totally efficacious. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through 28. The very repetition of the old covenant sacrifices demonstrated that they were temporary and imperfect. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. The superiority of Christ's ministry over the old covenant's Levitical ministry is found in the fact that Christ's priestly work is exercised in the true heavenly tabernacle rather than in the earthly shadowy one. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 2 through 5. The priestly work carried on in the earthly tabernacle was figurative or anticipatory. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 19, whereas Christ's ministry is the realization carried on in a greater tabernacle in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 and verse 23 and 24. The Levitical ritual of the old covenant revealed by Moses was parabolic of the present order in the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9a. In themselves, the priestly rituals of the Old Covenant could not perfect the conscience as Christ does, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9b. Thus, they were necessarily temporary, used until the time that everything is made right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. The Old Covenant saints greeted the promises of God from afar, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. By contrast, Christ fulfills the promises and secures redemption, the promised inheritance, and transforming power by his saving work. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 and chapter 8 verses 6 through 10. The redemptive rituals of the Old Testament law, then, could not perfect the believer. They were but a shadow of the good things to come. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. With the accomplished work of the Redeemer now in the past, we no longer use or apply the Old Testament laws regulating sacrifices, the priesthood, etc., in the same way. Discontinuity is definitely to be observed, and it is precisely the Word of God which instructs us to see an altered application of those laws. Indeed, we are warned against reverting back to the imperfection of the outmoded administration of God's grace in the Old Testament Levitical system. It is not surprising that the earliest Christians were accused of opposing the temple and the Mosaic Law's rituals. For example, Acts chapter 6 verse 14 and chapter 21 verse 28. The new covenant word 
teaches that some of God's old covenant ordinances were not intended to be continuously observed in the same manner throughout redemptive history. With the coming of the Savior and his perfect priestly work, necessarily the Levitical priesthood has been changed. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12. Hence the sacrifices, feasts, etc. of the old order are not binding upon the believer today in their shadow forms. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. B. The New Covenant redefines the covenant people of God. Under the Old Covenant order, Israel was constituted as a nation and adopted as the people of God. But under the New Covenant, the people of God is an international body comprised of those who have faith in Christ. The kingdom has been taken from the Jews. Matthew chapter 8 verses 11 and 12, chapter 21 verses 41 through 43, chapter 23, verses 37 and 38, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. And the church is now the Israel of God, Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, the commonwealth of Israel, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the kingdom of priests, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the twelve tribes of the dispersion, James chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and the seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, and verse 29. Faithful Israel of old is included within one household of God comprising the church. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Israelites and Gentiles are separate branches, part of one olive tree of faith. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. Thus the New Testament church is in the restoration of Israel. Acts chapter 15, verses 15 through 20. And the new covenant is to be made with Israel and Judah is actually made with the apostles who are foundational to the church. Luke chapter 22 verse 20, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. This biblically grounded redefinition of the people of God brings with it some corresponding alterations in the application of the Old Testament law. 1. Because the new covenant does not define God's people as an earthly nation among others, it does not require political loyalty to national Israel as did the old covenant. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Christ's kingdom, unlike Old Testament Israel, is not to be defended with the sword. John chapter 18 verse 36, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. 2. Because the significance of Canaan as the promised land of inheritance is passed away with the establishment of the kingdom which it foreshadowed, Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, Genesis chapter 13 verse 15, Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 10, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14, and 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, Old Covenant laws which are directly concerned with this land, for example division of the land into family portions, locations of the cities of refuge, and the Leverate institution, we'll find a changed application in our day. 3. The separation from unholy peoples required by God through the dietary laws, which symbolize this separation by a separation made between clean and unclean meats. Leviticus chapter 20 verses 22 through 26 will no longer be observed by avoidance of the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10, or typified by abstaining from certain foods, Mark chapter 7 verse 19, Acts chapter 10 verse 15, Romans chapter 14 verse 17. For the Christian, this now requires separation from any ungodliness or compromising unbelief anywhere they may be found. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18. Roman numeral 4. 
The New Covenant surpasses the Old Covenant in finality. A. It surpasses the Old Covenant law in clarity. With the giving of further relevant information in the scriptures of the New Covenant, God's moral requirements are made even clearer to us. For instance, Christ corrects misinterpretations and narrowing of the law's demand. Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 48. Moreover, his own life is an illustration of what the law would have us to do and thus is a new example of what love requires. The radical character of love is so dramatically displayed in the atonement that the old commandment of loving one another can be considered a new command. Christ's explanation of love surpasses that of the old covenant when he says that his people are to love one another even as I have loved you. John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 Chapter 15 verses 12 and 13 1 John chapter 2 verses 7 through 11, chapter 3 verses 11 through 18, 22 through 24, and chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. B. The new covenant surpasses the old in its efficiency. Through the Old Testament, God's moral demand was progressively revealed and explained. A revelation of his requirements would be followed by later revelations which amplified the first. However, with the coming of the New Covenant, the law of God would never receive further additions. The canon is complete and closed. Once and for all, God has set down the moral standards which we are to faithfully apply to our lives. Everything needed for complete equipping and righteous living has now been given. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. C. The New Covenant brings greater responsibility for obedience. With the giving of new light and new power in the New Covenant, the responsibility of men to obey the voice of God is increased. To whom much is given, much is required. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. God no longer overlooks any people's disobedience, but requires all people everywhere to repent because of his appointed judge and day. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. The revelation of the New Covenant is even more inescapable than that of the Old Covenant. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. And to it we should give the more earnest heed. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Conclusion Our study of the New Covenant scriptures has shown us, in summary, that there are definite discontinuities between the New Covenant relation to the law and that of the Old Covenant. The New Covenant surpasses the Old in glory, power, realization, and finality. There is no textual indication, however, that the New Covenant brings a new standard of moral conduct, and there is no textual indication that the Old Covenant standard has been categorically laid aside. The covenantal administrations are dramatically different in glory, power, realization, and finality, but not as codes defining right and wrong behavior or attitudes. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. 
And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.